From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father John Tregilio is in the house. If you've got a question, we'd love to talk to you. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 205 2712985 and you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com I'm Jack Williams Michael McCall producing the program your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts so if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook live you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program And we ask that question that we ask every Monday during the summer. Where in the world is Father John (laughs) Trujillo? I'm in Nutley, New Jersey. Uh, Wow. Uh, Okay, I'm not going to touch that one. Um, (laughs) 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Donald wants to know if you can receive the Eucharist more than once in the same day. Yes, you can, but it's only the maximum is twice a day, and uh, canon law makes that very clear. Uh, previously, you could only receive once a day unless it was a, for special circumstances, but now uh, it's twice a day, and uh, at least one of those needs to be in the context of going to Mass. Um, now, if you're at home taking care of a sick person and the priest comes to bring viaticum, uh, you are re- you are allowed to receive communion, but it, only if that is your second time. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's our toll free number. Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Okay, so I'm not quite sure I completely understand Nelson's question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> okay. How many of the hand gestures and movements at mass? are appropriate slash acceptable. Where did they come from? <laughs> okay. Well, if you're I Italian assume, like... <laughs> I assume he means by the celebrant. Yes. And if you're Italian like me, you, we use a lot of hand gestures. Um, now, there's a part of the, of the Missal. That's the book the priest uses to celebrate Mass. And in the front of the book, uh, in the front of the Missal, is called the General Instruction on the Roman Missal, or by its abbreviation G-I-R-M, and it states very explicitly what the precise gestures are. So, for instance, the the Oron's position where the priest has his palms up facing each other, uh, that is the typical position when he's saying uh, what we call presidential prayer. Uh, He alone 
is the one allowed to, to use that particular gesture. There are other times where he's that have his hands folded, like uh, the faithful would do in their pews. Um, he's to beat his breast uh, if they use the confidior or the penitential rite. Uh, there's uh, the blessing of the forehead, uh, the lips, and the heart just before the recitation uh, of the Holy Gospel. There's the epiclesis, wherein the priest extends his hands over the chalice filled with wine and the paten with the host of bread uh, just prior to the actual consecration. Uh, then there's the elevation of the of the consecrated host and the, of the consecrated wine. Uh, there's um, the blessing that he makes at the beginning of Mass and at the end of Mass. Uh, there, uh, there are maybe some other arcane gestures, depending on if it's... You do um, have kind of the, uh, the horizontal sign of the cross over the elements? Yeah, there is a, a sign of the cross that the priest makes over uh, the chalice and over the paten uh, at a particular point. Um, notice the extraordinary form, there are a lot more of those crosses over uh, the elements in the ordinary form, what people would call the Novus Ordo or, or Mass of Pope Paul VI. Uh, there's only one that's done over the, uh, over the gifts. Thank you for that question, Nelson. We appreciate it. Um, excuse me, Rose writes in, I recently took someone communion, and when he received, he started to chew on it. Is it okay to chew the Eucharist? Manja. Uh, yes, you. <laughs> yes, you are allowed to, because it says eat. Now, I have to admit, when I was a little kid in Catholic grade school, uh, one of the sisters told us, "No, you need to let it dissolve in your mouth." And uh, one of the nuns, she was starting to get a little uh, dementia. <laughs> by the way, she says, "Don't chew the hose. Uh, you know, blood will come gushing out of your mouth." And we were petrified when we made our first communion, but uh, the, the Church does allow you to chew, because uh, that's part of eating. Uh, obviously, because um, I know some people, if they don't chew, the problem is the host can get stuck on the roof of their mouth, mm -hmm. and it may be difficult for them to swallow, or get stuck in their dentures. So yes, you can chew, but you have to make sure there is nothing else in your mouth. That's why we do not want cough drops or chewing gum in your mouth when you receive Holy Communion. And, and also, I think another key is to just, I mean, just use good, prudent, you know, uh, judgment in this particular, you know, don't look like you got, you know, a meatball in your mouth or something. Yeah, some people make it a little bit, I mean, certainly you want to chew with your mouth closed uh, for respect and also, God forbid, because you know, I know some people, when they, when they eat and their mouth's open, Food's coming out. I, every time I go to a party, I stay away from some people because I'm going to get sprayed. Uh, <laughs> so you want to keep your mouth closed. Uh, and now if you're, if you're in the hospital or nursing home or you're uh, sick at home and they're bringing you Holy Communion, it's very okay to have a glass of water immediately after receiving Communion to help the person swallow. Claire wants to know, is it true that all Christians <laughs> must become Catholic? I like the well, idea. They should. <laughs> <laughs> they should. Um, the, the key here is if, if they realize, and here's the key, if they realize that uh, Jesus Christ founded the Catholic Church specifically for our salvation, they know that, they understand that, 
then they must comply with that. Uh, there are a lot of people who don't know that or don't understand that, and their ignorance would put them in a position where uh, the obligation is not the same. But uh, people who are held accountable are those who uh, know what the Church teaches, they know what the truth is, but they refuse to embrace it. So it must be deliberate, must be uh, conscientious, must be known. Um, but there are a lot of people who don't realize that it is Jesus and the Catholic Church that is affecting their salvation. So uh, you, you are accountable to act in accordance with what you know. And Matt wants to know exactly which parts of the Mass cleanse us of our venial sins. Uh, well, certainly uh, the penitential rite, but it's not only that. Any um, time you use a sacramental like holy water when you come into church uh, remits uh, venial sin. Going to communion remits venial sin. Um, so it's not just the penitential rite, but that's one of the more obvious uh, parts of the Mass. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Ted wants to know if he can give his indulgences to the souls in purgatory. Yes, you can. Uh, you can ask that uh, in your prayers when you're doing a particular act. Let's say you're going to make a holy hour before the Blessed Sacrament and pray the rosary. There is a plenary indulgence available, and instead of you utilizing it for yourself, you can ask the Lord to apply that to someone in, in purgatory. That's what we call part of the communion of saints. The only thing is we're not, that we cannot do is apply it to someone who's alive. They need to uh, access that themselves directly. But certainly for the deceased, if they're in purgatory, uh, you can do that. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Richard in Niagara Falls, Tim in Lafayette, Louisiana, Ann in New Orleans, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls as well. The number again, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday, talking apologetics with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Got a great item to tell you about at EWTN's Religious Catalog. It's a sterling silver St. Benedict medal and crucifix. It's a dual necklace. This dual St. Benedict Jubilee medal and crucifix set is an exclusive EWTN design made right here in the United States. The St. Benedict medal is round, double-sided, and made of sterling silver. And the crucifix, too, is sterling silver, and they both hang from a fine rhodium-plated chain. 
Chain's 18 inches long and has a lobster clasp closure. It's available now at EWTN's religious catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. They're offering free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. That's standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use the code FREE at checkout. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. First up is Lauren. She is a first-time caller in Houston, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Lauren, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. My question is, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law up in Minnesota said that the Catholics have killed more people than all the wars combined. And I was just wondering if you can shed some light on what they're talking about. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I have no idea. Um, I know sometimes people um, uh, ascribe some false blame to the Catholic Church for things that were done by Catholics. Uh, it's just like if, if one, you know, policeman or military person does something bad, you know, it, it, you cannot blame everybody that's in a uh, part of those institutions. And likewise, if a Catholic misbehaves, you know, you cannot blame the whole Catholic Church. And certainly there have been uh, wars of religion, which again, you know, certain people uh, participated in, it wasn't the, the church who c- condoned those things. And even during the Inquisition, uh, when they had church courts that investigated uh, heresies, uh, the church uh, officials, the priests, uh, the bishops, the cardinals, they never imposed any um, death penalties or torture on people. The, the actual documentation shows you that they were turned over to the civil authorities, and the civil authorities then uh, made the decision of what kind of punishment they were going to levy because it was considered um, part of the the public good uh, to keep the the peace, so to speak. So, in fact, Father, isn't it true that uh, that that wrongdoers often begged to go be- before the Inquisition as opposed to the civil court? Exactly, because they were treated much more fairly, more objectively. They got they were guaranteed the right of counsel, and there was strict procedures uh, because. Canon law is based on Roman law, and in many parts of Europe, uh, they were they were using Anglo-Saxon law, which was not uh, as fair uh, across the board. So a lot of people begged to go to church court as opposed to uh, civil court. Yeah, and Lauren, I would, I t- you know, these are your in-laws, so clearly you don't want to make trouble, and I get, <laughs> and I get that. But but in in situations like this, and Father John, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, when someone states the diametrically opposed viewpoint from the truth, I don't think it's out of line to, to just politely ask, where, where did you get that information? You really should research this for yourself because the exact opposite is true. Exactly. It's like when people say that Catholics worship Mary. We don't. So you have to say to them, you know, give me an example. Give me context. Give me example. And then we can have a, an, an adult, intelligent discussion. But if you're just throwing out accusations or allegations, then that's not really a discussion. It's not even a debate. It's just rhetoric. Is that helpful, Lauren, at all? Thank you. Yes, I will definitely do that the next time we're up in Minnesota and we have a discussion about it, because I'm sure it'll come <laughs> back up. So. 
All right. God bless you, Lauren. We appreciate the call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Richard. He is in Niagara Falls, New York. Listen, are watching us today on YouTube. Richard, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hello, Father. Uh, my question is, uh, does the Father know why uh, St. Thomas never mentions St. Dominic in his, in his writings, but St. Bonaventure, uh, you know, he talks a lot about St. Francis and his writings. So I was just wondering if anyone knows why St. Thomas and all of the stuff that he wrote never really talks about St. Dominic. Yes, um, well, I'm glad you asked that because I'm a member of the Sacerdotal Society of St. Dominic, which was formerly known as uh, Third Order Dominicans uh, for, for priests. Um, there are a few places where the angelic doctor St. Thomas, uh, Thomas Aquinas refers to the founder. Uh, he never, very rarely uh, refers to St. Dominic directly, but he does refer to the founder in the same way he refers to Aristotle as the philosopher. Um, it's just a Dominican uh, tradition, habit. Um, it's no slight against St. Dominic, and St. Dominic certainly would not have wanted to be um, advertised all over the place. Uh, whereas the Franciscan school of thought, uh, which of obviously St. Bonaventure was uh, a, a member of that community, is much more different, and uh, it's a whole different um, charism involved. So it's just a matter of of, um, of taste. You know, there's an old saying, St. Thomas Aquinas would often mention in the Summa, de gustibus non disputandum est, which translates, uh, on opinion, uh, there is no argument. So it's just uh, a matter of, of preference. How's that, Richard? Very good, very good. Thank you. All right, we appreciate the phone call today, and thank you, Father, for your uh, tact as I'm sitting in the shadow of a Franciscan friary. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. That's the number Tim used. He's a first-time caller in Lafayette, Louisiana, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Tim, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Thank you all so much. I got in my vehicle and I caught the tail end of the show before yours, and if I understood the question right, uh, the gentleman said that when Jesus comes back for the second and final time, we will be reunited with our bodies, and I thought he said judged again. And I didn't understand that, because if I for someone who had already passed away, he would clearly be judged. So, could you be? Are you being judged twice? I did. I, I just didn't understand that. Okay. Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, there are actually two judgments. The one that occurs, and this is the most important one, uh, when an individual dies, it's called particular judgment, and that affects your salvation. Your judgment is either being. Uh, virtuous and holy, and you go directly to heaven, or worst case scenario, you're judged as uh, in the state of mortal sin, and uh, then you're cast into hell, or uh, you're considered uh, worthy to go to heaven, but you need some cleansing, so you go to purgatory. That's particular judgment. It takes place immediately at death. The, the general judgment, which takes place at the end of time, at the second coming of Christ, when the dead will be raised, and the bodies and souls will be reunited. Uh, we, we call it the general judgment. 
what happens is it's not an appeal. Uh, it's not an adjudication of, of all the things that have not been settled. What it will be is a manifestation, a revelation to everyone who got judged on what grounds. So this way, no one's going to be in heaven wondering, how did he get in here? Or no one's going to say, well, why isn't so-and-so here? Uh, the general judgment will just be merely um, a, an exposure of all the particular judgments that took, took place prior to that. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Anne is in New Orleans, Louisiana, listening on Catholic Community Radio. Anne, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we do for you today? Um, I have a brother that lives in another state, uh, at least eight states away, and he has dementia, and he's in a home, and his wife has passed away, um, and his sons do not go to any any religion. But I would like to have him be anointed. Is that possible, just to call a priest and have him go there? Uh, yes, it can be done, and it should be done, and I'm glad that you thought of that, because many times when I was a pastor for 16 years, I would get phone calls from people who would say, you know, my loved one or my friend uh, lives in your area. Would you be able to anoint them? And uh, Now, if you don't know uh, the parish uh, or the priest that lives nearby, you could call the diocese. The diocese can tell you uh, what parish... Uh, that person belongs to. You could also, there's a nice little um, uh, mechanism on the internet. Uh, it's called masstimes.org. And you use that, it'll tell you, you type in the town or the zip code where the nearest parishes are. You could try that. But I would say go directly to the diocese first, call them, explain who you are, and say that you have this relative who lives in this town. And uh, it would be nice if a priest could visit them and maybe bring them an anointing of the sick. And uh, it's worth it's worth the try. And I have to tell you, as a priest, the parish priest, we are more than happy, more than happy. In fact, we prefer that people contact us because you can't depend merely on the hospital, the nursing home, or hospice to get us in time. Um, we want people to call us when there's a, more than just a few hours uh, of that person being left here on Earth. Uh, it, it's better if we, there's a couple of days, weeks, or months uh, that we can, uh, obviously, so that we can get there and make sure that everything's prepared for them and maybe even hear their confession as well. God bless you, Ann. We appreciate the phone call today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. David wants to know why don't we celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday? Well, because <laughs> um, since the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday, um, the Sabbath is still Saturday. In fact, uh, in Italian, the word for Saturday is sabato. So we haven't changed the Sabbath. What we've changed is our obligation to worship God. We've moved it as Christians to Sunday, which is the first day of the week, and mostly because... That's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Now, the early Christians used to observe both the Sabbath day as Jews, and they would observe Sunday, the Lord's Day, by getting together uh, for the breaking of the bread, which is 
the most ancient um, way of describing what we now call the Holy Mass. And when the uh, Jew or in the Jewish community, especially the Jewish leaders, uh, split and and said to the Christians, "You're on your own. There, you're no longer part of Judaism." Uh, and Christianity then was independent and separate. Um, the Christians they continue just to worship on Sunday, and that we maintain that. So it's not that we're violating anything because we're not under the old covenant anymore. We're under the new covenant. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line, Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Straight back to the phones we go. Doug is next up. He is in the great state of Colorado, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Doug, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Trujillo. Thank you. Hi, Father. Hi. Hey, I wanted to ask you, um, my mom just passed away, and uh, we're, we're all Catholic, me and my brothers, my mom, and there's a disagreement in the family that... Um, she has to be, she want, her wishes were always to be cremated and have a funeral mass. Um, the brother believes that she has to be at the mass with her body intact, either embalmed or, or whatever, and it's not appropriate for her to be there uh, cremated. And, and my mom didn't believe that. I, I have never heard anything like that, and I thought I'd run it by you. Uh, yes. Um, generally speaking, uh, the, the preference would be to have the body present, and, and then uh, the, the cremation, but obviously that's not always uh, the case. Um, I would check with the local diocese where the funeral would take place. Uh, my understanding is that most dioceses in the United States of America allow you the option of having, obviously, the body present with the casket or having the cremains present at the funeral mass, but it would be good to have uh, the cremains there um, Although we don't do all the same things, we don't incense the, the urn, we don't sprinkle holy water on the urn as we would on the casket. Um, but I've had what we call memorial masses where the ashes were not available. Um, it's very much like the funeral mass. It's just that the, the, the body's not there or the cremains are not there. But uh, just for safety's sake, I would double check with the diocese, but I, I don't I cannot think of any diocese on uh, top of my head that here in the United States that would uh, not allow you to have just the cremains there, but uh, they should be there intact, and they should be buried intact. Does that help, Doug? We'll have the cre. Yeah, we have all the cremains, and they will be there and, and intact. We just we want to do what the Church asks of us, and, and our understanding is, is the Church does that, and the diocese does that. We just want to yeah. be correct in our actions. Oh, yeah, and it's in the, 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 the book that the priest uses uh, for the rite of Christian funerals. There, if you notice on the, on the front cover, it'll say, with cremation um, uh, prayers. So it's part of, it's a, a valid option. Like I said, I, I can't think of any diocese that would prohibit it. Uh, a bishop could, but my understanding is in the U.S. of A., you know, it's generally always uh, permitted. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next stop is Wilmington, North Carolina. Kevin is a first-time caller listening on Wilmington Catholic Radio. Kevin, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hello, sir. How are you today? Fine. Thanks for calling. Uh, I had a question um, about an earlier question where your part of your answer you said that it just well, it seemed to me like you were saying that your true salvation is through Jesus Christ first and the Catholic Church. And I was just trying to figure out, you know, biblically in God's Word where that comes in at. Okay, well, that's, that's a, a valid uh, question. Um, is Jesus himself... When he, when he uh, says to Peter, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever you declare bound on earth is bound in heaven. The church is founded by Christ. The church is his mystical body. So in a sense, they are one. They're, it's his extension of Jesus. And uh, what I was trying to, to explain, and this is wonderfully um, explained in a document called Dominus Jesus, where it says that Jesus and his church are the means of salvation. Uh, now, if some people don't uh, know that or fully understand that, uh, it's not gonna, they're not going to be penalized for what they don't know or don't understand. But in reality, it's the fact that you know, Jesus is doing this, and this is why he founded a church. Uh, the church didn't found itself. He founded the church. The church is the one to whom he uh, entrusted the seven sacraments, so it's in the church that we're baptized. It's in the church, you know, we are uh, people are married, confirmed, priests are ordained, and the holy sacrifice of the mass and holy communion. So it's not any type of competition any more than with divine revelation being both sacred scripture and sacred tradition. So it's Jesus and his church because he's the one who founded the church. Now, um, you will not find in scripture uh, the phrase that uh, it's through the church uh, alone where you are saved, any more than you'll see where it, it doesn't say it's by faith alone. Uh, those are uh, concepts that are, are uh, outside of Scripture, but it's in Scripture that Jesus established this church, and he refers to it more than once. I mean, uh, he says if you know someone caught his sins and you go to them and they don't listen to you, bring another person, and if they don't listen to them, then bring them to the church. And if they don't listen to the church, then treat them as a tax collector. So the church has this authority given by Christ, and the church is the extension of Christ. That doesn't mean all her members are perfect, but it means that she herself is his spotless bride, because St. Paul used that imagery, you know, as uh, a, a groom loves his bride, so Jesus Christ loves his bride, the Church. How's that? I do see that. I just, and I understand the Church, you know, as Christians, we are the body of Christ, you know, as a whole. Mm -hmm. But I guess what I didn't understand is, you know, because you said, if I go, go back a little bit, if I understood exactly what you said, is the way I've seen, you know, I've studied it and understood it, as what I've been taught, plus as I study it through my schooling, that, you know, Peter and Paul both says it's by faith alone, not by man's works. You know, and if 
if it's not by works, it's not by, I guess you would say, the dom- denomination that we go to. Is if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we believe in his virgin birth, we believe in his death and his resurrection, and he lives at the right hand of God, that, you know, we're, we're putting our full trust in him and not anything worldly. And, you know, I mean, I... Go ahead, Father. I, yeah, no, that's a good point. And uh, if the Church had created itself, then that would make clear sense that we would have to offer Jesus and not the Church. But it's Jesus who established the Church as much as he established uh, baptism. Uh, and so uh, he established the Church for this specific reason, to help us uh, attain salvation. And uh, so the fact that it's his church, he founded it, and he entrusted to the church uh, the sacraments as well as divine revelation, because the church has the authority uh, and exercise that authority to determine which books belong in the Bible. The Bible itself doesn't tell us what books belong in there, and so we need the church uh, not to replace Jesus, but to represent him. God bless you, Kevin. Thanks so much for the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Rose is next up. She's another first-time caller near Rochester, New York, listening on the EWTN app. Rose, you're on with Father Trujillo. Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, My question has to do with ashes. Um, My mother was cremated... And before I ever started listening to EWTN, before I knew that um, how severe it was to separate the ashes, uh, several of uh, the girls' sisters had some of my mother's ashes in little necklaces. Now, I was able to return my what I had in my necklace. Because... Oops. I think we lost her. Uh, hopefully, she's hopefully she's listening on the radio. So just kind of give her a little once over with regard to yes. uh, handling ashes. Well, if you're only responsible for what you have possession of, so if you have the vial or you've buried it, that's what needs to be done. Uh, you cannot. I mean, it's not right for you to coerce your your sisters. But I would say, you know, uh, speak to them and say this is what should be done and leave it up to them um obviously it'd be different if this was your house uh if these were um minor children under your jurisdiction but when you're dealing with full-grown adults uh, especially siblings believe me i understand that very very plainly uh you could just recommend and suggest and say this would be what what mom would want if she realized this is what should be done but uh if they don't do it at least you mentioned it to them, and uh, there is no sin or guilt on your on your part, as long as you did what you had to do, as as you mentioned. I, I think she said she buried them, um, and at least say to your siblings, please, I, I I urge you to do that and leave it there. Um, Patsy is watching us on YouTube, Father, and she says that her son-in-law overdosed and died on Mother's Day this past year. He oh knew of Jesus and went to church a few times a year, and she wants to know if her prayers will help his soul enter the kingdom. Yes, I, I certainly believe they do, uh, because um, 
we the church has a, a, a deeper understanding of people who are battling with depression, and so we don't blanket uh, treat people who commit suicide as we did in the past. Uh, in ancient times, uh, even up until 1917, the Code of Canon Law, uh, people who committed suicide were not allowed to have a Christian burial. But then we, we found out through the, advent, um, the uh, advances made by uh, psychology and psychiatry that uh, there's people who battle with you know, clinical depression, uh, and so their, their, ability, their ability to judge um, objectively is um, diminished, so their culpability is diminished, and so only God knows what was in their heart and in their mind at the moment that they did this. So we give people the benefit of the doubt. So we do not refuse somebody Christian burial, and we say we don't know. But that being said, you uh, presume the best, and you know certainly have Mass said for uh, the, him, uh, because even if he's not guilty of the sin of, of, of suicide, if he was battling with depression, there may be other things he needed to to work on, so he may be in purgatory, and your prayers can be of immense help, but masses even more so uh, have masses said, but uh, I would not um, be so worried about his uh, eternal salvation unless this was the case where you had like a, um, a terrorist who kills himself, you know, they, they call them suicide bombers, where well, they're, they're still murderers because, and there's a person that, you know, it's not mental imbalance, it's not clinical depression, they knew what they were doing, so they're, they're not in that same situation. But I had a priest friend of mine who uh, took his life. We had a priest in my diocese who took his life. And uh, we hope for the best and presume that, you know, under those circumstances, uh, they weren't uh, completely culpable for all their actions because of the, that uh, condition that they had. God bless you, Patsy, and a lot of our listeners and uh, viewers on social media will keep you and your son-in-law in their prayers as well. Um, make your plans for a full weekend at this year's EWTN free family celebration. It's taking place Friday, August 25th in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, visit the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Hansville and attend Holy Mass. You can tour the Shrine and much more. Then it's off to Birmingham Jefferson Convention Complex on Saturday, August 26th for all of the wonderful family celebration events. Go to EWTN.com slash family celebration to find out more and to register. It is all free. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Bruce in the great state of New Jersey, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Bruce, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hey, Father John. I'm very close to you. I'm over across the Passaic River in Barney. I'm very close. Five <laughs> miles away. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Anyway, i got probably a two-part question for you, Father. I have a Protestant friend, and he's down in Texas. But he's kind of opened up to Catholicism. Uh, he watches Mass on TV, and, and uh, he's getting into the rosary. But my question is, he's also very sick, and he could die tomorrow. Can a Catholic priest, if uh, his wife happens to call a parish, call a Catholic priest and give the anointing of the sick to a Protestant and possibly the apostolic blessing, and um, 
And the second part of my question, Father, is can he convert to Catholicism if he is um, lucid and uh, aware of what he's doing uh, during this time? So it's kind of a two-part question. I'll wait for your response. Yes. Uh, Certainly, uh, there's a wide latitude given uh, to the priests when we call it uh, endangered death, or in Latin, in periculum mortis. So if someone is dying, uh, they do not have to go through RCIA. Uh, they do not have to go through a long catechetical process. So if someone has uh, a terminal disease or they're in very bad shape physically and uh, death is, is imminent or, very, or soon to be imminent, that yes, a priest can uh, receive them into the Church. In fact, it's in the ritual for anointing of the sick that in those special circumstances uh, the person could be baptized, they can receive communion, they could be confirmed and receive the apostolic blessing and uh, uh, receive Holy Viaticum. Now, if he does not want to be a Catholic, the priest cannot administer the, the, the sacraments. He could certainly uh, pray for him and give him a blessing, but uh, if he's disposed even a little bit uh, it's to his advantage to speak to a priest and who you know might be able to say to him, look, uh, this is for your good, and you'll receive the fullness of God's grace. Now, if he's unconscious, um, I've had the uh, instant, and so some, many priests do, where uh, there was an accident and the police pulled us over and said, hey, Padre, there's a, a person here. Well, if they're unconscious, I don't know if they're Catholic or not. I administered the, the, the sacraments. I gave them the anointing of the sick. Uh, I didn't know because, you know, we're not, we're not in a place to, you know, card them, so to speak, uh, if they're in, in, in an accident or when I was hospital chaplain. But if he's still lucid, then he needs to make, at least say, yes, I would like to be Catholic. I would like to receive the sacraments. Um, we don't want to go against anyone's will because that's certainly something that God himself treats with great respect. So, yes, by all means, speak to a priest, but let him know. Let the man know that you're, you're speaking to a priest and say, would you like to speak to Father? Don't make it sound like you're imposing this upon him, because we want him to freely uh, accept this, but uh, it's to his advantage, and um, this is the best way to prepare uh, for death. God bless you, Mike. Thanks so much for your generous heart. Uh, John is next up. He's in Houston, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. John, you're on with Father John Trujillo. Hello, Father. Um, I had a question about, um, I I think it's in the Bible, where um, it says to avoid bad companions. uh, uh, And I was just trying to square that with, you know, all all must be loved. But uh, how to put that in practice, you know, with, uh, to avoid bad companions, so, so that we uh, don't don't pick up their their ways. Yes. Um, uh, hey, sometimes the most co- loving thing we can do for some people is to leave them alone, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. And um, we call it occasions of sin—a person, place, or thing that lead us into sin. So sometimes our bad companions will always lead us to say, get drunk. Um, do bad things, to lie, cheat, steal, uh, get into fights. Um, and these people, no fraternal correction is going to be effective at all. Then we need to avoid them in the same way we would avoid certain places. So uh, occasions of sin can be a person, but if you're really close to them, you are a friend, 
then you should try some type of fraternal correction. And if they resist, then you have to say, well, then maybe we need to part. Uh, and maybe if this person, you know, sees their, they have no friends left, maybe they have to, uh, you know, re revamp their lifestyle. But, uh, you know, you're not being unchristian in avoiding somebody who always leads you into sin. And so uh, you're not being unchristian to do that. But before you take that last step, I was certainly making a, an attempt to say, hey, you know, um, can you um, change your life a little bit here? 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Mike is another first-time caller in the great state of Connecticut, listening at EWTN.com. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jack, and hello, Father. Hi. Um, I have a two, uh, two quick questions for you. Um, as I know, as Catholics, we have, we have confession, but as a Protestant, how are they able to relieve themselves of, um, of eternal punishment because if they commit a mortal sin, how would they be able to confess it before they passed away? Okay, I, I only got half of the question because my uh, internet connection is a little. Um, yeah, he's asking. Here. He's asking. We have confession to deal with uh, the temporal, uh, you know, uh, residual effects of sin. How do Protestants yes. get rid of that sort of thing? And and and. Uh, well, the, yes. They have to make what we call a perfect act of contrition and just say, I am sorry for all my sins, and not just because I fear the pains of hell, but because uh, I offend God. And uh, making a, a perfect act of contrition would suffice for someone who is not of the Catholic faith. Uh, they obviously uh, are, are don't understand and don't know the full ramifications of uh, the sacrament, and not being Catholic, they wouldn't be able to receive the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. So in that case, they're able to uh, remit those sins by, in a sense, confessing internally, but it has to be complete. It can't just be, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I regret what I did. No, they need to be completely, totally sorry. Uh, as a Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox Christian, we need to avail ourselves of the sacrament. But uh, non-Catholic, uh, non, uh, even non-Christians, can make a perfect attitude And then I think Mike also wanted to ask if masses can be offered for a Protestant. Yes, they can. You can always have masses, uh, especially someone who's deceased. Um, in prior uh, times, that was not the case, but yes, you can now have a mass celebrated for any person, uh, even if they're not of the Catholic faith, uh, if they're a departed soul, or for the special intentions of uh, someone who's not of the Catholic faith. Thanks so much, Mike. We really appreciate that question. Um, we're running up on the end of the program here, but I'll give you the number one more time, 833-288-3986. If you call that number after 4 p.m. Eastern Time every day, then uh, it'll kick you over to our listener comment line call, and you can actually leave your question or comment for uh, the host of any of our open line broadcasts, and then we may get to those particular questions, um, you know, at some point in uh, in a future mailbag uh, edition of Open Line, um, or another opportunity where we take some of those listener comment line phone calls. So again, after 4 p.m. Eastern time, 
And that number is our regular number, 833-288-3986. Quickly, we'll head to Patricia in the great state of Texas, listening on the EWTN app. Patricia, just a couple minutes left with Father John. What's your question? Okay, my first question was, was Mary at the Last Supper? Uh, we have no indication that she was there. Uh, we have okay. no absolute explanation or uh, evidence that she was not, but uh, it's more than likely she was not present. Okay. The second one is uh, in on my rosary, it says, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, from the beginning, uh, always and from the beginning. I don't see where the Son and Holy Ghost is in the Old Testament. Uh, were they there in the in the Old Testament, or did God create them as He did others? Or I just was asking. Okay, well, theologians use uh, a way of explaining this. It's not the most perfect, but it, it, it works. There's what we call the uh, imminent Trinity: how the Holy, how the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, always existed, worked together. Uh, they all share the same intellect, same will. There are three persons, one God. And then there's what we call the economic trinity. It has nothing to do with money. It's just that over uh, Revelation, the God the Father is revealed first in the Old Testament. Jesus the Son obviously comes and reveals himself. And then uh, he and the Father send the Holy Spirit. But the trinity have always existed from before time itself. It's just that our understanding, our knowledge, our revelation of the Trinity was gradual. We had to first be revealed that there is a God, and then that God is three persons in one God. So although in the Bible we see it gradually uh, unveloped to us, in reality, the Holy Trinity has always existed. And there are some hints to that in the Old Testament, aren't there? I think of let us create God in our own image comes to mind. Yes, there are some uh, references that uh, you could say, yes, that uh, God is giving a little peekaboo, so to speak. <laughs> Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Absolutely. Benedicat vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Trujillo, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to Open Line Monday. Back at it tomorrow with Father Wade Menezes talking faith, family, and fellowship on EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Until we get together then, God bless.